Unless you are eating well spiritually, you will not grow spiritually. And without spiritual food, you will lose your spiritual energy, you will become apathetic, and tragically, you will even begin to lose your appetite for the Word of God, which is the very food you need. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. I'm Bill Wright, and Tom is continuing his current series with part 10 of The Church According to Jesus. J.C. Ryle, the great English evangelical Anglican, wrote, Many admire growth and grace in others and wish that they themselves were like them, but they seem to suppose that those who grow are what they are by some special gift or grant from God, and that as this gift is not bestowed on them, they must be content to sit still. Growth in grace, however, is bound up in the use of means within the reach of all believers. And as a general rule, growing souls are what they are because they use these means. Well said, don't you think? And what about you, friend? Are you one of the growing souls that J.C. Ryle spoke of? What means are you pursuing for spiritual growth? Let's join Tom Pennington right now with today's message on The Word Unleashed. The Word of God produces comprehensive joy in the life of the Christian, the life of the believer. And verse 8 adds, enlightening the eyes. That's illumination. The Word of God will open up your eyes to understand spiritually, to grasp the ways and will of God, the character of God, the person of God, it will open up your eyes to see spiritual reality the way it is. This is what the Word of God does. It produces spiritual growth by those means, restoring the soul, making us wise to God's ways, producing comprehensive joy in our hearts by opening up our eyes to see spiritual realities the way God sees them. Turn over to chapter 119. Here, the Word of God is celebrated in the longest chapter in our Bibles, verse after verse after verse. But I just want to point out a couple of verses here that make this point very clearly. Psalm 119, verse 9, very familiar verse, but notice what it says. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your Word. How can a young man stay on the path that honors God and reflects his character by keeping his path in line with the Scripture. Spiritual growth occurs through the Word of God. Verse, um, verse 11, your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. That doesn't just mean memorizing. Obviously, memorizing is a good start. It means treasuring that that you've memorized, making the Word of God your treasure, and thinking about it and meditating on it. And when that happens, verse 11 says, it will keep you from sin. That is, it will encourage your growth spiritually. You will grow in holiness as a result through the Scripture. Psalm 119, verse 104, here's how it happens. From your precepts, I get understanding. I get discernment of you, God, and your ways. 
Therefore, I hate every false way. As I see what you love, I begin to love what you love, and I begin to hate what you hate. And all of that comes to us from the Scripture. There are so many other places in the Psalms where that's true, but let's fast forward to the ministry of our Lord. Jesus makes the same point in John's Gospel, the priority and importance of the Word of God in our spiritual life. In John 15, you remember this is part of the upper room discourse. They've just celebrated the, the Lord's Supper together. He's soon to go out to the Garden of Gethsemane, and in that upper room discourse, he uses the image of himself as the vine, verse 1 of John 15, his father's the vine dresser, and we are the branches. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. There's a false profession, a false believer. But every true branch, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Verse 3 is the key. You are already clean. That is, you are already pruned like a branch. How? Because of the word which I have spoken to you. Jesus said, you are pruned spiritually to bear fruit and to grow by the word which I have spoken to you. I've referred to it several times, but turn to John 17. John 17, verse 17. Jesus prays to his Father, and he says, Father, sanctify them, make them progressively holy, more like me in the truth, or literally by means of the truth. Your word is truth. Father, you can make them like me, you can like, make them holy by means of the truth, and I'm talking about your word. Your word will accomplish that, Jesus says, as he prays to his Father. He says it again in verse 19, for their sakes I set myself apart to what I'm about to do, the cross, that they themselves also may be sanctified or made holy by means of the truth. Turn over to the book of Acts. You see the same message in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 20, as he talks to the Ephesian elders, passage we looked at last week, he makes this very same point. He says, my ministry with you was all about the Word. Look at verse 20. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you from the Scripture publicly and privately from house to house. Verse 27. Not only the gospel, but I didn't shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. I taught you the Bible. Why is that important? Well, remember, starting in verse 28, Paul warns them about false teachers. And on the heels of that false teaching, he explains how we can protect ourselves against false teaching. Look at verse 32. Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. That's another expression for the scripture. The word which tells us about his grace to us in Christ the Scripture is able, notice, to build you up. And it's able to give you the inheritance among all who are sanctified. The Scripture will build you up spiritually. It will work your spiritual growth. And it will ensure that that inheritance you've been promised becomes yours. Because it will build into your life the truth you need to know to persevere. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, a favorite passage of many, 
Paul is talking about the fact that when unbelievers read the Old Testament, they don't get it. A veil, it's like a veil is over their heart. Verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 3. But verse 16, whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. They now get it. They understand the Old Testament. And as a result, verse 18, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord revealed on the pages of the Old Testament, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Whether old or new, as we gaze at the Scripture, we see the glory of God. The Scripture is the the instrument, the means God uses to change us into the, the very image of Jesus Christ. In the epistle to the Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, in the middle of a, the context of husbands loving their wives, Paul makes this very insightful comment. Ephesians 5, verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And he did that, Christ did, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Describes both the initial part of uh, coming to Christ, the gospel washing us clean, as it were, but it's more than that. It's as if every time we are exposed to the Scripture, it's like the fresh water of God's Word washes over our souls with new and fresh life and carries away more of the dirt from our souls. James, in James chapter 1, the last passage I'll have you turn to, in James chapter 1, Verse 21, James is talking about the importance of embracing the truth of Scripture if you're a believer. And he says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all remains of wickedness. In other words, don't hold on to any sin, but instead, in humility, receive the Word. Receive doesn't mean just listen to it. It means embrace it, welcome it. Receive the Word, and it says it is the Word implanted. In other words, the Word was implanted in your heart when you came to Christ, the Word of the Gospel, and it continues to bear fruit. And he also describes the Word as that which is able to save your souls. Listen, if you're here this morning and you don't know if you're in Christ, you don't really know if your sins are forgiven. The only place you can go to find out how you can be right with God is right here. It is the Word which is able to save your soul. That is, it is in this book that you learn how God will rescue you from yourself. It's everything. The Word is the means God uses to produce spiritual growth. Do you see that? Everywhere we turn, and those are just a sampling, it's the Word. You, you might be tempted to ask, now wait a minute, are you saying there aren't other means God uses to promote our spiritual growth? What about spiritual activities we do? What about trials? Are you saying that trials don't produce spiritual growth? Do trials produce spiritual growth? The answer is maybe. Never apart from the Word. For example, trials are only useful for spiritual growth when they are properly mixed with an understanding of and faith in the Word of God. Let me give you an example. God forbid a close family member dies, a spouse, a child, a brother, a sister, a parent. As a Christian, you're now faced with that trial. How are you going to respond? 
Well, some Christians, when faced with that, in response to that trial, will choose anger and bitterness at God. Other Christians will choose in that trial, the same trial, to allow the Spirit of God to renew their minds so that that death creates in them a greater desire for heaven, a greater and deeper confidence in God's goodness and His providence. Now, how can the same trial produce those two different results? The difference is in interpreting that trial through the Word of God. The one who responds in faith responds by interpreting that trial through the lens of the Bible, through the lens of the Word of God. And the one who doesn't is responding in a fleshly way. So ultimately then, trials are only useful for our spiritual growth if they are informed by and directed by the Word of God. Take another example. What about prayer? You say, Doesn't prayer promote our spiritual growth? Well, the answer is maybe. Not if your prayers are not biblical prayers. There are millions of unbelievers who pray every day. That doesn't aid their spiritual growth and development. There are Christians who think prayer is simply a way to get things from God. That doesn't benefit them. Remember what James said? He said, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss so that you might consume it on your lust. It doesn't benefit you at all. Prayer is only an effective tool of spiritual growth when that prayer is instructed by and directed by the Word of God. And it's true with all the other parts of our spiritual life. R.L. Dabney, the great American theologian, was right when he said, the Word is the means in all other means. Where the word is not, there is no holiness. So here's the bottom line. If you want to grow spiritually, understand this. It will always and only be through the truth of God's word. Now, we can get that word and should get that word privately and individually through our own individual study and reading. That's a priority for us as Christians. But the focus of this paragraph in Ephesians chapter 4 is the truth of God's Word that comes from the gifted men Christ has given His church to equip the saints. So we could put it all together like this. (coughs) Excuse me. We could say this. God's primary tool in our spiritual growth is the truth of His Word, taught and explained by the gifted men Christ has given His church. That's what Paul is saying. Now, immediately, there are several applications that just sort of jump jump out at me. It means we must make the corporate worship a priority because if that's part of the way God grows us, it becomes imperative that this be a priority in our lives. It means we must come to grips with the devastating effects of removing the Word of God or lowering the priority of the Word of God in the weekly gathering of the church. There are many churches that are pulling the Word of God out of the corporate worship out of the time the church gathers. That is devastating because the only way those people can grow spiritually is how? Through the Word of God, through knowing and understanding the Bible. We must never downplay the importance and priority of teaching the Word in our thinking. Listen, the teaching of the Bible is not less important than the other aspects of worship. It is more important because it informs and directs them. And we must make the Bible a priority in our own personal lives. Truth is absolutely vital in our spiritual growth. 
But Paul doesn't stop there. Look back at Ephesians 4. He says, but speaking the truth or holding on to the truth in love, we are to grow up. We are not to have the knowledge of the truth that is detached from life. Rather, we're to have a knowledge of the truth that is married to a genuine love for God and for others. Lloyd-Jones writes, the truth of which the apostle writes must never be approached with the intellect only. If my heart is not moved by the truth, if I do not feel it and its power, my spirit is wrong. Truth must produce passion, and in a truly Christian profession, there is emotion and feeling. A truth which is only held in the intellect becomes hard and arid and dry. That's why there are churches where their knowledge of the Bible is firm and strong, but you go in and people refer to it as the, fo- the frozen chosen because they lack love. The truth must be mixed with love. We must hold the truth in love. We learned in the first three chapters about God's love for us, didn't we? Verse after verse, the apostle just pours out the knowledge on us of the love of God and all that he's done for us. Well, guess what? Knowing and understanding that love that God has for us causes us to love. And in the second half of this letter, time and again, we're reminded of that. Look, for example, at chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. God loves you as children, so walk in love just as Christ also has loved you and gave himself up for us. And we're to love other people because we have known God's love. We're to love other people, he's saying. And he ends the letter, notice the last verse of Ephesians, by saying, grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an incorruptible love. So God's love for us creates in us a love for other people and a love for God. We must meditate on the love God has shown us in the first three chapters so that we can grow in our love of others and of Him in the second three chapters, in the last half of the book. So then, the primary two factors that influence our spiritual growth are an increase in our knowledge of the truth and an increase in our love of God and others. That's how we're to grow. Holding on to the truth that we learn in Scripture and loving God and others more deeply. And where there is a mixture of those two things, there will always be active spiritual growth. Now, Paul continues to explain this God-caused, word-produced spiritual growth in verse 15. We are to grow up in all aspects. That is, with, with reference to all things, in every part of our spiritual life, in faith, in knowledge, in unity, in love, in every part. Verse 15 ends, we are to grow up in every part of our spiritual life into him who is the head, even Christ. What does it mean to grow up into Christ? It means we are to grow until our entire life has its center and expression in Jesus Christ. Grow up into Christ in every part of life until Christ becomes the center of everything. And that will only happen by knowing the truth, understanding the truth, confessing the truth, believing the truth, obeying the truth of God's Word. 
That's what this fourth and final implication of Christ's plan for his church means. It means we can only grow up spiritually by means of the truth mixed with love. Sadly, there are a lot of Christians who aren't growing up. There are a lot of Christians who are starving. This week, I read some about starvation. Starvation is when any living thing dies from a lack of food essential to life. The basic cause of starvation is when more energy is spent than food is taken in. Now, how long a person can survive without food depends on how much fat they have stored in their bodies. That's a very personal thing, and I'm not going there. But most people, most people can only survive about 60 to 70 days without food. Prolonged starvation causes permanent organ damage and eventually death, and here's how it happens. As you deprive your body of what it needs, particularly on a severe scale, the body begins to cannibalize itself. Once it has exhausted all the stored fat, it actually begins to burn and consume to break down the muscles and other tissues in order to keep the vital systems functioning, like your nervous system, like your heart muscle. The stomach begins to atrophy. And oddly enough, since the perception of hunger that you have is controlled by the percentage of your stomach that's empty, starvation victims begin to actually lose their appetite for food. They're often too weak to sense thirst, and so many starvation victims become severely dehydrated. Every movement becomes painful because of the atrophy of the muscles as they break down. And because the skin is so dry from dehydration that with movement, it literally cracks in the movement. Diseases become much more commonplace. In fact, one of the common side effects of starvation is a fungi begins to develop in the throat and esophagus so that swallowing becomes extremely painful. Extreme fatigue and apathy become more and more obvious. They just are like walking dead. Most of the time, though, we talk about people starving to death. Most of the time, people don't starve to death. People who are starving usually end up dying from some disease they catch that is opportunistic because of their weakened immune systems. The human body must have food to maintain health. It can't survive more than 70 days without it. Folks, in the same way, your spiritual life cannot survive without the life-giving food of God's Word. And unless you are eating well spiritually, you will not grow spiritually. And without spiritual food, over time, you will lose your spiritual energy, you will become apathetic, and tragically, you will even begin to lose your appetite for the Word of God, which is the very food you need. That's why Peter writes, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word so that you may grow in respect to salvation. The Word of God is the primary means of spiritual life and health and growth. R.C. Ryle, rather, great Anglican writes, many admire growth and grace in others and wish that they themselves were like them. You ever do that? You ever look at somebody and say, boy, I wish I were spiritually strong like that person. 
But they seem to suppose, he says, that those who grow are what they are by some special gift or grant from God, and that as this gift is not bestowed on them, they must be content to sit still. He goes on, growth in grace, however, is bound up in the use of means within the reach of all believers. And as a general rule, growing souls are what they are because they use these means. Beloved, grow up by holding on to the truth of God's Word mixed with a love for God and a love for others. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part 10 of The Church According to Jesus. Tom will continue with part 11 on our next program. Join us, won't you? Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And be sure to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory explaining God's truth.